This morning, the title of my message is Why Give? I was almost getting ready. I don't, have, I don't really know how to do the cricket sound. Some people can actually do it. Anybody here know how to do the cricket sound? Church. <laughs> so another person like me who really doesn't know how to do the cricket sound. <laughs> yeah, when you say, uh, well, a message on giving. Yeah, why well, give? Why give is a message. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I've heard it said before that there are five ships that need to be sailing uh, if a church is to stay afloat, if a church is to accomplish its primary purpose. I believe we do have all of these ships uh, disembarked and in the sea. One of them is leadership. Uh, a church has to have good leadership. Uh, and I really do believe we have good leadership uh, here at Res Life. There are people that uh, you can trust, people that are going to tackle the tasks that are ha- at hand, and people that are going to step up and step beside you and and help you along uh, along the way. And another one that we just, uh, another ship that we just experienced was worship. We just had a powerful time of worship, and uh, uh, I mean, every church needs worship. Uh, I said uh, to the team this morning, you know, we don't sing songs here. We preach lyrics with a melody line, because it's more than a song service, you know, and it's just an opportunity to to do more with the vertical relationship and to make, make sure that we're in a position to, uh, to hear from God. And quite frankly, and I may be biased about this, but I think the worship here at Res Life is probably second to none um, pretty much anywhere. So I'm pretty excited about that, that we, we worship in spirit and in truth, and we have one goal, and that's to make Jesus famous in the lives and the hearts of people. Can you say amen? amen. And then there's another ship, which I think Life Group uh, lends itself to, and that's uh, fellowship. Uh, connecting together and being a part of each other's life and encouraging each other and accepting each other and lifting each other up and loving each other. And one of the greatest compliments that I hear about uh, Resurrection Life Church is, is this. People, visitors come and they go, they are the friendliest, warmest people I've ever met. Uh, everybody is saying hello and everybody's welcoming me and everybody's shaking my hand. I think I've had one, at least one person said, it was great, but it was almost too much. Uh, you know, and so, but that's awesome that that could be said of us, that there, we're a warm and friendly church. Can you say amen? And so that ship's a sail, and then there's discipleship, another uh, ship that's sailing, and uh, I believe that we have a church with believers that are committed to becoming more like Christ and to do everything that they can to be true disciples of the Lord and doing more uh, that the, to doing more to learn how to fulfill the Great Commission because the Great Commission is more than just getting people saved. It's, what, it's about what? Making disciples. And what does that end up looking like? That's somebody who's now not only following Jesus but teaching others how to follow Jesus as well. And so I, I think that we have that uh, in place. And then the last one I think that is very important that I kind of want to talk about today is stewardship. That's an important ship that every church needs to have going on as well. Uh, I believe that we have great stewardship uh, here at Res Life. We make a, uh, a very serious commitment to be good stewards of the finances that you all bring in here. You know, we don't have a money machine. We do have a copier, color copier, state-of-the-art printer back there, but we don't print money, y'all. 
we got 14 acres of pro- property with a lot of wooded uh, land on it, but I haven't found the money tree yet. Uh, and we don't have one of those, you know, vacuum bank vacuum things that go to heaven that all we got to do is push a button. And, well, there it is, you know. Uh, the money that takes place around here comes from you. Uh, and we don't take that for granted at, at all. And we recognize that none of y'all have a money tree in your backyard either. And, and if you do, um, I'm going to ask you to repent for keeping it all to yourself. You know, bring us one of those seeds to plant some over here. So when you bring your hard, what I'm saying, it's hard-earned income. It, you know, I don't think any of us just have vaults of money sitting around and it's just automatically generated. We, we work hard. Work hard for your money. Can you say amen? And so we recognize that, that every dollar, whether that's a physical dollar or a check or whatever it comes in the offering basket, it, it's, to some maybe it represents a dollar, but to me it represents a person. It represents somebody that earned that dollar and now sacrificing it for the sake of God and for the things of God. And that's a part of good stewardship. It's a part of good stewardship to do the best we can with our gifts and with our talents and the things that we have. And, and God expects us to be good managers and good stewards of all the things that we have in our life. Can you say amen? And so I believe that, the, that, that all of these five ships, they need to be in operation, working well. And, you know, we can always get better, right? We can always do better at any one of these things. None of us have arrived at any one of those things. But at least none of those ships are in dry dock here at Resurrection Life Church. Uh, we're sailing. And we're on a destination and we're on a journey together. And I'm excited about that. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to talk with you about why we should give. And it may not be all the reasons that you would expect, especially when I have you turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. When most people hear the preacher is going to talk about giving and he's going to direct you to Malachi chapter 3, we immediately get a little tense about what might be coming. But I want you to bear with me for a few minutes because I want to, I want to express to you why I believe we should give. And I'm going to start that out by telling you two things that I believe we can learn from Malachi that we need to give. And, and so let's read, let's read together, can we? Uh, Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to start with verse 6, and I'm going to read through verse 12. If you're ready, say, I love the Word. All right. So verse 6 is, for I am the Lord, and I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not, connect, have not kept them. Then the Lord puts a plea out. He says, return to me. You see, we, we, well, we can always go to Malachi and just take our focus on the tithe and talk about the, the 10% talk about the money. But I want us to notice a couple of other things here in Malachi. The first thing the Lord is saying is, you've walked away from me, and I want you to return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord. But you said, in what way shall we return? And then in verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he answers the question, in tithes and offerings. And of course, Malachi 3 can be used to have a discussion, a clear discussion about the biblical pre- precedent of bringing tithes and offerings. 
In what way have you robbed? Uh, we robbed you in tithes and offerings, the Lord said. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And I, and I hope that you notice that the word tithe there is not singular. It's actually plural. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. This is pretty cool, says the Lord of hosts. And try me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Everybody say windows of heaven. We feel like maybe, you know, that if we're faithful with the tithes and offerings that our bank accounts should get bigger. But it says you'll open the windows of heaven. I wish somebody did the cricket sound. I just really did. I like the idea of, I mean, I love to have, anybody love to have stuff in your bank account? Can I get an amen? I'd rather have the windows of heaven opened up over me any day of the week. And it says right here, watch, test me, try me now in this and see if I won't already do it. Open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you so much blessing that there will not even be room enough to receive it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. See, we hear Malachi 3 and we go, oh no. I hear Malachi 3 and I go, oh yeah. There's some good stuff going on right there. But did you notice where it started? You've walked away. You've left me. Come back. Return to me. Verse 11, and goes on to say, not only will I open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out such a blessing that you won't have room enough to even store it, my brother. Come on, so much wood coming in. Are you kidding me? Right? We got to build you another barn to put wood in. Amen? I rented a storage room, so I got room for more wood. Just saying, just saying. And it goes on to say, look here, it says, not only will I do all that for you, but I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. So that you'll not destroy, so that he, the devourer, will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations shall call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And from our text, we discover a few things. And the first one uh, uh, on your handout is something, what should I bring? And, and that is, we should bring ourselves to God. We should bring ourselves to God. There it is, even from the days of your fathers, you've, you, you've gone away from my ordinances. You've left my word. You've left my, my thinking. You've left my wishes for you, and you've not kept them. And he's saying, come back. Would, would you come back? Would you return to me? He's saying, I want you, is what he's saying. I want you. And in, it's interesting that if we just take a quantum leap over to the New Testament and Paul citing some information about the Macedonian believers in respect to giving, the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, this phrase, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first. That was before their offering. It was before their any, any talk of of material giving. They gave themselves first. And we see that also in, in Malachi that we just read that the same thing as he's speaking to God's people about giving. Yes, it's there, tithes and offering, but God's 
first and foremost desire is that they give themselves wholly to him. Because you know what? You can be a tither and an offerer and still not give yourself to him. And can I help you? Your tithe and offering does you no heavenly good. Yeah, that was a good moment of silence. Your tithe and offering is only does you heavenly good, and I, and I know there's some earthly gain as well, but let's just speak of the heavenly win, the windows of heaven being opened over your life and your family. That in and of itself is enough of a deal for me, right on? But if my, what he's saying first, before you ever, ever do the tither, you ever do the offering, can I have your heart? Can I have you? Can I have all of you? Yeah, that's pretty important. See, the people of Israel, they had, fors- they had forsaken, they had forgotten God's decrees, His words, they had left His ways, and, and, in, and in doing so, they had forsaken God. They had walked away from, from God, but interestingly, God had not forsaken them. God had not turned away from them. In fact, He's pleading with them, come, come on, back, I want you back, and they had left God. Let me help you with something. If God seems far away from you, he hasn't moved. He hasn't left. If you're a child of God and you feel as though God seems a long ways from you, uh, you can rest assured that God has not forsaken you. He has not changed addresses. His heart has not left you. And maybe we need to remind ourselves of what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, never Never will I leave you, and never will I forsake you. So you see, God doesn't leave us. We leave him. But I'm a tither, and I'm an offerer, and I'm a church attender, and I'm this, and I'm a that, and I'm a this, and I'm, I'm that. But yet, you've not given him all of you. And he's saying those sort of things, they may have some importance in the grand scheme of things, but what's the most important thing is that I have you, all of you, all of your thinking, all of your heart, all of your wishes, all of your goals, all of your obedience. So if God seems far away, it's because you've moved away from him because he'll never move away from you, ever. And what God desires most from us is ourselves, and he doesn't just want a part of it. He wants all of you, all of you. And he calls us to have this love relationship with him, this kind of love relationship that he desires right from the very beginning where man was created for a love relationship with God. But man broke that. Sin broke that love relationship. And that's why Jesus came in the first place, to help restore that broken relationship. God has always had it in his heart and in his mind. I want a restored, full relationship with my creation. And I want them to want me more than anything else. I want them to want me more than their material goods. John chapter 3, verse 16, we all know this verse, but maybe haven't read it or heard it from the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique Son 
so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. Listen, anybody can say they believe in God. That does not mean that they trust in, cling to, rely upon him. The Bible says that even the devils believe, and they at least have enough sense to tremble because they believe. Maybe, maybe we need a little trembling in the house, this house. God expressed his love and his desire to, to have this restored relationship with us through Christ's sacrifice for us. And we find a picture of that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 from the New Living Translation where it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still messy, while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him. That's how much he loves you and I. Jesus died in order to to restore this broken relationship between man and God. And our love relationship with God must, therefore, be of equal importance to us. If it's that important to him, it should be that important to us. My relationship with my wife, Diane, my relationship with her is as important to me as her relationship with me is important to me. And it's not a one-sided journey, you all. We both you know, well, she gives 50% and I give 50%. No, she gives 100%, I give 100%. It's a 100% deal. It's 100, y'all. Why do we have this relationship with the Father that says, Father, I know you gave me 100. I'm going to give you eh, 50 to 75 and the other I'm going to keep for myself. It's not the whole thing. And he's saying that in that setting even, you've forsaken me. We, have a, we need to have a priority of this love, love relationship where God never, he promises never to leave us and to never, ever forsake us, not even for a moment, not even for a few minutes. He, he's always there with us, and yet for a moment, for a few minutes, for days, for months, for years, we'll leave him in the dust. There's a story of a couple, they were having problems, they came in for counseling, and at one point, you know, things were getting a little heated, and the husband says, I've given you everything, I've bought you a house, I've got you a new car, you've got all the clothes that you can wear, and he went right on down the list of the number of things that he's always given her, and when he had finished, the wife said to him with tears in his eye, yes, but you've given me everything except the one thing I wanted the most, yourself. You didn't give me you. And we can say the same relationship with the Father in heaven, where he says, I've given you everything. I've given you my son, yet I don't have all of you. Sadly, marriage relationships aren't the only ones that are damaged by one party that chooses to give themselves to it. Many relationships with God are, are, are not what they should be either because of the same reason. God 100 in us not. Can I help you with something? Even 99% not enough for God. It means you're keeping 1% for yourself. And some would say, well, that's not such a bad deal. God should be pretty pleased with that whole concept that good grief, he gets the 
most of my time. He, he gets most of me. Uh, but the 1%, you know, I'm sorry, I don't want just most of Diane. I want all of Diane. I don't want just most of her heart. Well, uh, you're my favorite guy, she might say. I have other guys, but you're, I spend more time with you than any of the other guys. And you're my favorite. I love you more than any of the other guys. So please, you're not going to take my other guys away from me, are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run over them with my big ram truck. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you, you get the picture? And yet we do that with God. Mm. Number two on your papers, what am I to give? I am to give myself to God. You see, first and foremost, Malachi chapter 3 isn't about the money. It's about yourself. Number three on your paper, let's just right, jump right to it. What, we, what else should we give? We should give our substance over to his control. See, God wants to control our lives. You know, he is the master. He, he, he either is the master and the king or he's just your buddy. Can I help you? He doesn't want to be your buddy. He is a friend that's closer than a brother, but he's not saying, I just want to be your pal. We're betrothed. You, we're, we're married. I'm not sharing you with another lover, the Lord would say. And so maybe the other lover's your money. So, uh, having identified the problem that existed between God and his people, Malachi goes on to pinpoint the issue at hand. He said, return to me, you've left me, you're not obeying my word. And they said, well, how have we left you? And so he addresses that. He, it's almost as though he anticipated the people's question with how they might return to God. And he tells them the reason they strayed in the first place wasn't the money. It was that they assumed control over a part of their own lives. They assumed control. Their substance, they got to keep control over their substance. Instead of yielding control to the rightful owner, they maintained the control over the wallet, over the money. Malachi charged them with being guilty of robbing God. Youch. That's, that should freak us out a little bit. Yet most of us have no trouble at all robbing God. And it's not about the fact that you don't bring the 10%. It's about the fact that you're stealing your heart from him. But I give him 90% of my heart. No, no, no. It's the 10% that you're giving to another lover that he's concerned about. Sure is quiet in this Pentecostal tithe and offering church today. Malachi charged them with being guilty of robbing God. At issue, therefore, in their returning to God was whether or not they would give their substance to God's control. It wasn't about the 10%. It wasn't about the amount. 
It was about would they give God control over that portion of their life? And I believe God is still asking the same question today. He's he's not saying, I want the 10%. Praise God for the tithe, amen? But he's saying, I want you to give me control of all of your life. That's the only way I can be your God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, I'm just, I'm a Lord of some. I'm happy with being Lord of part of your life. He's the Lord of all. That's his opinion, is it ours? That he's the Lord of all. So the same issue needs to be resolved in our own lives as well. Will we acknowledge that God is the creator, that God is the provider of all things, because that's where it comes from, is to recognize that I have what I have because of what he has allowed me to have. Not because you're so smart or you're so talented and you worked so hard for it. Maybe you did, but he gave you the health and the strength and the energy to be able to work so hard for it. See, even when you take back and go, well, I earned this, I did this, you are taking credit away from the one who actually enabled you to have breath in your body and a heart that beats. You've got to give up control of your substance. Number four, what I possess is merely that which God allows me to possess, and I owe it to the one who has entrusted it to me to manage it in such a way as to please him. You see, if you can have that heart attitude, that mindset, that what I possess is merely what he allows me to possess, and I owe it to the one who has entrusted me to manage it in such a way that pleases him, imagine if we could be children of God like that. And this isn't about taking up an offering. Because if I were to pass the basket right now, I'd be asking for your heart. Yet the scripture teaches us where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So this isn't about the money, y'all. And I'm not afraid to preach about money. In fact, I got about Four minutes left in this message, and I'm going to stop it, dead stop it, and pick it up again next week. Because I want you to understand that he wants you, and you completely. And that didn't mean that he wants you to give him all your money, but he wants you to recognize that what you have is because of him. Amen? Amen? Each of us needs to give our substance over to God's control, especially when we consider the fact that if Christ is our Savior, then God owns us. Okay? If Christ is your Savior, then He owns you. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. God. He ain't renting you. He's not leasing you or subleasing you. He bought you. With his very blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, he purchased you. 
He has that right to your life. Therefore, we need to honor God. One of my final stories, there's a guy by the name of Emil Mettler. He was a restaurant owner in London. Uh, <clears throat> this was many, many, many years ago. And the secretary of the London Missionary Society, whose name was Albert Schweitzer, um, uh, went to that restaurant every now and again. And the owner, Mettler, wouldn't let anyone who was a believer uh, pay for the meal. He just wouldn't do it. So one day the secretary was, uh, you know, of course they always, they just take it for granted, so they'd always go to, to pay for the meal. And he was there, and the guy hit his cash register, and, and when uh, Mettler opened the cash register, there inside of his register was a six-inch nail. And the uh, secretary of... Uh, uh, the missionary society asked him what that nail was about, and he said, that's to remind me every time I open this money till drawer to remind me of the pr price that Christ paid for my salvation and what I owe him in return. What have you got in your wallet? It's almost like that commercial that reminds you that what you have is because of him. What do you have in your wallet that when you open it up, that you go, he's blessed me with this. How can I honor him with what I have? Maybe it's a different mindset, I don't know. Lee Davis, he's uh, from the Southern Baptist Convention or was a number of years ago. He made this statement, and I'm going to close this morning's message with this. Right living and right giving are Christian values that need to be developed. They are not automatic. First, there is a commitment to a life in Christ. <clears throat> then comes a commitment to be a Christian steward. A Christian steward. Number five on your paper. A commitment of stewardship recognizes that God is the creator, and he's the giver, and he's the owner of your life, and he's the owner of of all of your possessions, he's the owner of everything that you have. If you can believe it and receive it this morning, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God? Okay, that, that was about a, a one-third of you. I'll hope to win the other two-thirds of you next week with the remainder of this message. Praise God.